0: All right, guys, good evening. Welcome back. We are back into our Sunday night series. A lot to cover, so we're just going to get into it and plow ahead tonight with the biblical leadership series all the way into lesson 14, how to shepherd. We're back and covering more of the the how-to side of things with this second half of our leadership series. And this is all about trying to equip you with some of the basic training concerning the tasks of biblical leadership. We're trying to take a A holistic view of what it means to be a leader in the Bible from the preparation and now really more into the practice side of things. And tonight, like I said, just very specific, how to shepherd. And when you start the biblical foundation of the shepherding task of the leader of God's people, you you learn quite a bit. As you probably know that the shepherd sheep metaphor, that is the primary metaphor in scripture to define that the leader, the leader-follower relationship, or dynamic. No no metaphor is tapped into more in Scripture than that of the shepherd and his sheep. And you can learn a vast amount about leadership just by studying the shepherd-sheep metaphor. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to start with a, a biblical foundation, just doing a Bible study on this shepherd-leader distinction and, and uh metaphor in scripture. Then, then we're going to distill from that really the practical implementation. What can we learn about leadership today? What, what does the Bible teach us about leadership from everything it says about a shepherd over his sheep? So we're going to look at the shepherd leader in the Old Testament, the shepherd leader in the New Testament, and from that distill for us this how to shepherd. How can we lead like biblical shepherds? So let's get started with the shepherd leader in the Old Testament. Now there's there's two main Examples of the shepherd leader in the Old Testament. Who might they be? Moses? And David. Moses and David. So we'll start with Moses. First, Moses as shepherd leader. Now, do you actually remember what was Moses doing when God called him to deliver his people? In Exodus three: one, he was shepherding the, the flock of Jethro's father-in-law. He was a physical, literal shepherd. And then God called him to deliver his people. He appeared in the burning bush to Moses. And Moses is like, How will, you know, what, what will I say or do that the people and Pharaoh will believe me? He said, take your staff, throw it down. It turns into a serpent. And later on, that staff would be like the visible tool by which God would do the, the plagues and parting the Red Sea. It all came through that, that, that staff. But keep in mind, that was a shepherd's staff. It wasn't just a, a stick he had. That all the while, this was Moses' shepherd's staff. So God elevated a humble shepherd and a humble shepherd's staff. To be the visible symbols of his power and rule over his people. And several times, God referred to his people as the flock of his pasture. He was their one shepherd. He cared for them. He was going to meet all their needs. But even though God was their really only shepherd, he was going to use Moses as the human means, the human instrument of their their shepherding. Moses was going to take care of them. Be their shepherd leader lead them to green pastures, i.e. the the promised land. This leadership involved personal care and investment by Moses and the people. And so in many respects to Moses, it felt like these were his people. They were his sheep. They they were the Lord's, but he, he was given such a role as a shepherd. He had a real personal investment and involvement over their lives. And he was there to serve them. Psalm 77 verse 20 speaks of Moses and says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so God was shepherding his people through Moses. And you remember from long ago, when we started this study, we, we, we discerned that the basic identity, the, the core identity of the biblical leader, and we identified it as sacrificial servant. Remember that? Keep trying to drill that into your minds, the sacrificial servant. And this identity is very much in line with the role of shepherd. Moses saw himself as a sacrificial servant of the people, not some king, not someone to be praised or applauded, but he was there to serve them, to lead them to green pastures. Now let's switch and talk about David as shepherd leader. A little snapshot of these guys, first Moses, second David as shepherd leader. And you likewise recall, what was David doing when God called him to be king over his people? That's fast. It's like you knew the answer. He was shepherding. He was shepherding the flocks of his father. In Psalm 78, 70 through 72, it says of God, he also chose David, his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. God Later called David to be a shepherd king over Israel. Notice he was to shepherd them according to the integrity of his heart. He, the, the shepherd is concerned with the, the physical needs of his sheep. The shepherd over God's people, however, is although not neglecting their material needs, is primarily concerned with their their spiritual needs. To shepherd their hearts to do so from a heart of integrity that's the one God is looking for. Now do you even remember there, there's one illustration of just the lengths to which David went to protect his physical sheep. You know what I'm talking about? How he testified when he wanted to go fight Goliath. And he's like, here's what I've done. Does anyone remember? And lion, yeah. No tiger, just lions and bears. And a great risk to his life, he, you know, a lion or a bear in the wild would approach the flock and he would take them down. Risking his life, it's just an illustration of the the self-sacrifice that he had uh, as a physical shepherd, later as a spiritual shepherd. Uh, You you see investment in the flock. You got to care about your flock if you're going to risk your life to to save them, to deliver them. Now, David was to be Israel's king. You, You know, he also served as a type of the Messiah. And this fact makes David's role as shepherd especially pertinent. It's not a coincidence that, you know, Moses, David, two Key figures in the Old Testament were physical shepherds. God called them to shepherd his people. And David especially, 2 Samuel 7, God made a special covenant with David, the Davidic covenant. And, and set himself up as that God would bless David and one after him, a son of David, would, would lead his people forever. In that passage though, 2 Samuel 7, 7, God made clear that you know, all the leaders, the judges before David, God intended for them to be shepherds that they all were to be shepherds. Every leader, every judge was to be a shepherd, but they fell short. And so God was going to call David from shepherding a flock to now shepherd the people, to be that, that the king that they needed, a man after God's own heart. But you know the story, you keep reading, you find that you know, David fell short too. David was not that perfect shepherd. And this is no surprise to God. And so God promised that even though he was going to use David, he was going to raise up a son of David, one who would come later and be that perfect shepherd king over God's people, to perfectly provide for them with a truly righteous heart and lead them into an eternal rest. We know that's the Messiah, Christ, and he's the one who took this whole shepherding metaphor to really a redemptive level. Well, we'll obviously see that in just a little bit here, the connection with Christ. Now, David himself was quite connected to God as his own shepherd, And again, we know this is all just when we say shepherd, we really mean under shepherd every single time, because God is the only shepherd in that ultimate sense. At best, we are His under shepherds. Now, David wrote one special psalm that's instructive, where he really highlights God as His own shepherd. And you gotta know this, which psalm? Psalm 23. Let's turn there. If you want to be quick, uh, turn to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd psalm. You'll know it when you hear it. And just let me me read this and follow along. Just try and think about what we learn about the ideal of the shepherd leader. From God's own role as shepherd as discerned by David. David the great shepherd. How did he view God as his own great shepherd? He says Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and that will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So just by, you know, quick observation, what what can you see there about, from God's own shepherding example, uh, uh, the ideal of the shepherd from this? The role of the shepherd, the ideal, what stands out? Protects the sheep. They may go through the valley of the shadow of evil, but God will be there with them, guiding and guarding them. Good. He leads them. restores, see, that the sick, the weak, the lost will go after. Yeah, he's there to, to guide, that the shepherd is with his sheep. He's not going to abandon them, even in dark times. If you kind of boil it boil it down, I would maybe say comprehensive care. It's like total care, comprehensive care. God's going to meet all the needs of his people. They're going to lack nothing. They shall not want. They're fully cared for. And so you just look at some of these Old Testament patterns from Moses to David and then from David to really just God himself. We already learned that to be a shepherd leader means to comprehensively care for the sheep. From the example of these men to God's own example, that, that's just what you get. That's why the metaphor, of course, was was taken. This is a way to describe leadership that involves investment, involvement, The shepherd cannot lead from afar. He's right there in the midst of his people, just guiding, guarding, protecting, feeding, leading, 24-7, caring for their needs, selfless work, sacrificial work. The sheep, after all, they're dependent on their shepherd to lead them, to guide them, to protect them. Without the shepherd, they'll quickly get into a lot of trouble, as Israel proved when they were led by bad shepherds. And so as, as God continues, though, to raise up people, to serve as under shepherds, even now in the church, already from the Old Testament pattern, you should learn that in this, this serious work, it involves serious labor, investment, involvement in the lives of the sheep. It's about putting the needs of the flock ahead of your own and just caring for the needs of the flock. Whatever those may be, the shepherd cares for the flock. When you think about it, it's kind of simple, but it's worthwhile to just to explore the, the pattern. Let's do that now. One more passage from the Old Testament. Let's look at the negative side of it and turn to Ezekiel 34. Very well-known passage about Israel's wicked shepherds. Ezekiel 34. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Try and find your way there. Ezekiel 34. Here's a passage that's a rebuke of Israel's wicked shepherds whom God held responsible for the sin and the straying of the people which led to the exile. Now, that the people have become so wicked into abominations that God judged them. They, they lost the nation. They were, you know, the Babylonian exile took place. But God holds their leaders, their shepherds, most accountable. The people aren't off the hook, but he's really holding the leaders accountable. And that includes the elders and the priests of Israel. And so verses 1 through 10, you have an indictment of the shepherds of Israel Let's read some of this. Ezekiel 34. Verse 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. You can already tell. So far, the, the chief sin of these wicked shepherds, they instead of feeding the flock, they were feeding off the flock. They were in it for personal gain. They were fleecing the flock. They were just taking advantage of the flock. Instead of caring for their needs, using the flock as a means to meet their own needs. Verse 4, those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you've dominated them. And think of all the weaknesses, or, or the sins, the, the problems, the conflicts, the issues in the lives of the sheep. These shepherds couldn't care less. You know, they weren't interested in you know caring for their souls. The, the sheep were pawns whom they used and moved around just to, in one way or another, serve themselves. So the whole idea of comprehensive care—it's just. Yeah, you comprehensively care for me. And meanwhile, just domineering or dominating and being domineering over the sheep, not showing grace, mercy, kindness. Verse 5 says, Therefore they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on, on, and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Notice here the distinct lack of protection. They weren't trying to keep them from harm, keep them from false teaching, keep them from false worship. They weren't doing anything about that. The sheep got scattered every which way. They got themselves into trouble, into error, into spiritual adultery and idolatry. And these shepherds, did they go after them? Did they seek the lost and the the straying sheep? No, they didn't care. They were scattered. And so you keep reading verses 7 through 10. God pronounces his judgment on them. He will judge the wicked shepherds. And he says, verse 10, I'm against the shepherds. I'll demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding the sheep. He'll deliver them from their mouths. The passage continues. And you see in the, the following verses, 11 through 22, God himself will shepherd his people that they're so wicked, these shepherds are going to be removed. They're going to be judged, set aside. God himself will step in, verse 11. Thus says God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. He will seek and save the lost. He will bind and help the sick. He will even judge between the sheep because some of the sheep are also hurting others. He will search and seek, care for and deliver, gather and feed. This is what the Good Shepherd looks like. And you see, really, as, as you study the passage further, we can't we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but by way of contrast from the wicked to God himself, the distinction is clear: what makes a, a good shepherd? Just look at the exact opposite of verses one through 10. You've got a good shepherd. God will step in, but you know, God uses a mediator to lead his people. That's just his will, his plan. And so he will redeem his people. He will find his sheep bring them back, lead them to good pastures, but he's still going to do so through a shepherd, a good shepherd. And so it reveals, this now gets into some prophecy, but later on, verses 23 through 31, that God's going to set over them that ultimate perfect shepherd. Look at verse 23. He says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. If you're confused, David was dead and gone by this time, long dead and gone. This is speaking, of course, of that, that son of David, that promised shepherd king that would come and be the perfect shepherd who really cares for the sheep and even lays down his life for the sheep. And he would gather them into one, one fold, one flock, and lead them forever. And this is God's plan. to to give his people peace under a perfect shepherd leader. We know that's Christ. A lot to learn about shepherding from this chapter, but just kind of bring it back. Our our intent in in looking at this chapter is really to to discern what, what makes a good or bad shepherd. And really top of the list is for the wicked shepherds was the failure to feed. The failure to feed. And everything else kind of flowed from that. Failure to protect, taking advantage of personal gain. Their primary shortcoming, though, is that they did not feed the flock. That's like the shepherd's number one job, right? Keep them alive. You got to feed them. So you need like green pastures and water. Otherwise, like, what's the point of being a shepherd? If you're not feeding the flock, they'll perish. Feed the flock. They failed. They instead fed off of the flock and devoured them. That was their great wickedness. In contrast, God's going to send the Messiah to be the the ultimate shepherd. And what's he going to do? Verse 23, He's going to feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. He's going to pick up where they, where they lacked. He's going to give them the, the words of life that they need. Already we learn from the Old Testament picture, God takes this work of shepherding very seriously. You see that by, by way of this failure and the judgment they received. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. He takes it seriously. Yeah, we all fall short. We all can serve self in the flesh, but the shepherd needs to be always on guard, constantly dying to self in order to, to serve the flock, putting the needs of the flock ahead of his own. You know, this leadership is not about dominating the sheep like Israel's elders did, but just putting their needs and their interests ahead of your own, laying down your life for the sheep. Now, the good news is that that one true shepherd has already come, that the perfect shepherd leader we all need, he's come. Because look, we're we're all sheep. Me, you, like, I don't care if you're a pastor or an elder, we're all sheep. Christ is the shepherd. Thankfully, he's come. He has led us by his word and the ways of life. That being said, that, that doesn't mean God no longer employs under shepherds to lead his people. Now the church, he does. And it, it does mean we can learn, though, from Christ himself who has come even more about what it means to be an under shepherd of Christ, which after all, that's what we're trying to do here. Just learn what it means to be a shepherd and then how you shepherd. So let's transition out of the new Testament, the shepherd leader in the new Testament and see a, a quick little survey here of what the new Testament says for the church about the shepherd leader. So we did old Testament. We saw Moses, that shepherd leader, David as shepherd leader, and then that the wicked shepherd leaders, Ezekiel 34. Now New Testament, how about Jesus as shepherd leader? The, the Messiah has come. The Old Testament, you know Micah ends with the promise of one born in Bethlehem who will shepherd God's people, Micah 5:4. New Testament opens, and that, that shepherd has come. So let's, let's learn from him. Turn to John 10, obviously that the main passage, if you're going to learn from Jesus as shepherd, John 10. So you get to the New Testament, the perfect shepherd leader has come, this shepherd king. And honestly, this could be its own entire study, but for our purposes, we just want to survey Jesus as shepherd, especially as, you know, paying attention to how he sets the standard for future under shepherds to come and gets us closer to what we're after here. But first, John 10, 11 through 16, just, just pay attention and again, What can you observe about the good shepherd here? John 10 verse 11, Christ taught, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who's not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own, know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. We can stop there from now, but again, I know it's quick, but as you read, as you listen to that passage, can you give me any observations about from Christ's example, what it means to be a good shepherd, What's that? Hey, he's clearly selfless, sacrificial, absolutely. Lays down his life for the sheep. What else? Yeah, you see again that comprehensive care, that vested interest. He cares for these sheep a lot. He knows the sheep. There's intimate knowledge, this relationship. They aren't just strangers or someone else's sheep. He owns the sheep, it says actually. See any other observations jump out at you? Uh, out to you. He feeds them. He will be with his words of life. Man does not live on bread alone, but the words that proceed from the mouth of the Father. He protects them. Again, kind of tying into laying down his life for the sheep. Very good. Well, he, he's the good shepherd. So ultimately, he's he's good. He's righteous, he's just, he will not do them wrong because he himself is good. So it starts with his own character as the good shepherd. He's not an evil shepherd or bad or mediocre, he's he's a good shepherd. You see that in his sacrifice, his laying down his life for the sheep. He owns the sheep, like some of you pointed out, he has vested interest. They're his people. He is deeply concerned with the lives of the sheep, protects them from wolves, dangers. He looks out for them. He, he knows them. He has an intimate relationship with the sheep. They know him too. They can pick out his voice in a lineup. And then at the end, he has a desire to unite the sheep, that they not be divided any longer, but be one sheep. And you can see how many aspects of Christ's own leadership example still hold true for us today. Having just character, being good, being righteous, being just showing the same sacrificial service. We can't make atonement, but in many respects, we can lay down our lives for the sheep, put them ahead of us, protect them from danger, watch out for falsehood and false teaching in their lives, showing great concern for the sheep. We we care. That's reflected in investment, involvement, and then just knowing the sheep that we have an intimate relationship. We'll see all these aspects come later, again, when we distill this down into the how-to. You see all these elements resurface. Christ's example is, well, it's, it's the great example. He is the great shepherd, the good and great shepherd. Now, clearly, Christ is the shepherd. There, there's no other. He's the chief shepherd, as Peter would say. It makes you think, like, well, Christ has come. That, that once-for-all shepherd king has come. What do we need any other shepherds for? Like, what's what's the point? If you can recall, did Jesus himself give any indication that he would give his authority to others to shepherd the flock under him? Can you think of anything where Jesus may have suggested that he was going to recruit some other shepherds next to him? What about Peter? Yeah, very good. Yeah, so you have uh, John 21 at the end of John, Peter's threefold denial. And Christ gives them a threefold restoration. And clearly, like, he's risen. He's about to ascend. There's not much time left. The church will begin. Christ is going up. He'll be gone. But he leaves them behind to to do the work of the ministry that make disciples, preach the, the gospel, spread the kingdom. And his words of restoration are very interesting. You know, I'll read really quick. John 21, 15 through 17. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, "Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. It's quite interesting, worth, again, plenty of its own time and study, but I find it interesting how Jesus, he could have drawn on the fishing metaphor there, the fishers of men, but I think he purposely, because Peter had gone back to fishing at that point, takes him and draws him back to the shepherding metaphor, like, no more this fishing business, you're now in the the shepherding business, and granted you had fallen, but he's restoring him and, and setting him up with the other apostles as shepherds. The chief shepherd, he's still the shepherd. But he will be ascending, and he's now recruiting and using his representatives to carry on that work of shepherding, to be his under shepherds, to tend. Like, they're his sheep, but he calls on Peter to tend to them. That means to feed and to take care of them. You also have Matthew nine thirty six. Jesus looks out at the people with compassion because they were distressed. He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Nothing had changed. Israel's wicked shepherds carried on to the New Testament. The elders, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they still were under the thumb of wicked shepherds and that grieved Christ. He wanted his people to have godly shepherds. And so in the next chapter, Matthew 10, he sends the 12 out to preach and he tells them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Already Christ is recruiting them and and engaging them and participating in the work of reaching the sheep, shepherding the sheep, feeding the sheep. So you have plenty of of hints and indications that that Christ is clearly the one shepherd, the chief shepherd, but his plan for the church is is not to remain. He ascends, he goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down, and he's going to use people, men, to be the, the mediators, the shepherds of the flock here on Earth. Let's keep studying that. Then, going back to John twenty-one, you might wonder, like, okay, Christ, He's given this just to Peter. You know, is this is this Jesus indicating Peter's supposed to be like like a pope, like like a super shepherd. Well, no. And to answer that, you could just ask, how did Peter see himself? Let's turn to First Peter chapter five, and we'll study now Peter as shepherd leader. We've seen Jesus as shepherd leader, the ultimate example. But we're going to throw in two more: Peter as shepherd leader. That's First Peter five. Here at the end, Peter has some words to say to the elders, that is to say, the, the shepherds, the pastors, the uh, pastors, the overseers of the, tr- the dispersed churches. Let's read what he has to say. 1 Peter 5, look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. I'll we'll keep reading in a second, but already he doesn't pull his apostle card here and, and set himself above them. He's exhorting them to shepherd the flock as just a fellow elder, just a fellow elder, pastor, overseer. Remember, those words are all synonymous. whom God has appointed over the church. And he's exhorting them as, as we might say, first among equals to, to shepherd. There is to be a plurality of elders, a plurality of shepherds. Peter was not their pope or super leader. He was just one of them whom God used in a unique way. But now he's exhorting them to, to do the work. What's the work? Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Already, we can tell this is going to be a critical passage when it comes to understanding the role of shepherd. They are to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, they are to look after, watch over the flock, be on guard. They're to do so willingly, not under compulsion. This this has to be a labor of love. If they're motivated by anything else, not gonna last, and the sheep will suffer. They've gotta to, to willingly give themselves over to this work. And they, they better not be motivated by money. He says, not for sordid gain or, or unjust gain, but with eagerness. Yeah, that they, they better not be trying to get rich off the sheep like many have before, or fleece the flock, get ahead off the flock. They better not be trying to build their own name or their own kingdom or their own glory because God is not looking for those shepherds. Those are the ones who receive his rebuke and his judgment. Now, this needs to be with eagerness. He says, verse three, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Don't lord over. Don't don't lead from behind. Lead from in front. Be an example. Show them the way of Christ, what it means to follow Christ, be gracious with them. And then verse four, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter knows nothing's changed. Christ is the chief shepherd at best. We can be under shepherds, but still be faithful, be faithful to him. He will appear. He will judge. He will hold accountable. Wicked shepherds will still be disciplined, But instead, be found faithful and there will be great reward for this this labor of love. God is gracious even to reward those who labor. And so clearly in the New Testament, this passage and just the whole pattern of the New Testament, the buck has been passed to others to carry on Christ's work of shepherding the flock, participating in this work of overseeing and meeting the needs of the church. That's what we're aiming to do at this church Just to see more and more people think like shepherds, act like shepherds, pray like shepherds, live like shepherds, lead by example. It's really, it's the New Testament pattern for leadership, old and new. It's the whole Bible that the shepherd leader is, it's the number one picture we have, and it continues today. Now, real quick, before we get to that, we're almost there to talk about the the practical how-to. Let's just squeeze in Paul as shepherd leader So we can get two from the Old Testament, two from the New, right? Moses, David, now Peter, Paul, with with Christ in the middle. Let's just talk about Paul as shepherd leader. And you can turn to Acts 20. Most pertinent text comes from his farewell address to the uh, Ephesian elders in Acts 20. In the book of Ephesians, Paul would go on to, to tell them that God gave some as pastors and teachers, For the equipping of the saints. You know, the word pastor just means shepherd. The word poimen in the Greek it just means shepherd. And God gave shepherds to the church to equip them in the work of service. Before that, though, here in Acts 20, Paul is saying goodbye to the elders of the church of Ephesus. He says this, verse 18 He says, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility. And with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you publicly and from house to house. You see Paul's example of humility and intimacy. Involvement. Personal relationship. From the ministry of the word he he was feeding them. Contrary to the wicked shepherds of the past. He was personally feeding them and leading them according to the truth. And then he turns and has a word for the Ephesian elders, verse 28. He says later, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He calls them to to watch out for themselves, that they may not stumble into sin because their character matters, their example matters, but also look out for the flock, for wolves, for those who would... Lead them astray. It's not your flock. It's Christ's flock. He shed his own blood to purchase this flock. You are entrusted, those who are shepherds, with a precious stewardship. It's Christ's bride, his sheep, his flock. He died for them. And he's lending them to you to look after him for a little while and give them back to him more like Christ. Pretty serious. Be on guard. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. External and internal threats will come after the sheep. And so constant watchfulness is needed. He's talking doctrine here. Well, really doctrinal error and moral error is false teachers inside and outside. You, shepherd, have to protect Be on guard. And finally, verse 31, therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Serious business. He he cared about these sheep. He was invested. He had to depart from Ephesus, but he left elders behind. And he's just praying and hoping that, that they will share that concern. They will be on guard. They will be watching, feeding, and overseeing. Now, you, you put together all this teaching, especially the New Testament teaching on shepherding. And look, it, it clearly relates most to the office of elder pastor overseer, right? That, that's obviously what it is most talking about. These are the men God has directly called to partake in the work of shepherding. But as I keep saying over and over, this teaching is relevant to all who lead in whatever capacity. You may not be an elder, but if you lead, well, God wants you to lead like a shepherd. That's just the pattern for leadership left behind. He wants his people to think like shepherds, pray like shepherds, watch out for others like shepherds, guard others like shepherds. Wouldn't that make for a really safe and healthy flock, church? If everybody thought like a shepherd, that'd be great. At the very least, we're seeking to create a shepherding culture at this church where more than just a few guys think along these lines. And we just get people to be elevated in their thinking where it's not just about me, but the shepherd's like, the shepherd mentality, if you boil it down, just just, you're concerned about others. Not just concerned about yourself and your day-to-day life, but you come to church, not just, what can I get out of this? or I want to get my worship fix or whatever it is, but you're coming like, how can I help others? That's just, that's a fundamental mindset shift. You either have it or you don't. And the more you can gain it, where they're just, they're servant-minded, they're shepherd-minded, the church is going to benefit. You know, you could be a lady leading a small group of four high school girls. And you're not an elder pastor of a local church, but in many respects, you're functioning as, as the under-shepherd under for, those, for those teenage girls. And you are to be, well, watching over them, guarding them, guiding them, feeding them. Are you not? It's really it's just the pattern of leadership, whatever it's going to be. And so that should be you. And so it behooves all those who aspire to leadership to get well acquainted with the picture and the pattern and the practice of leadership. And you can learn so much from, as we've been doing, uh, the metaphor of shepherd. If you lead others, if you've been given any leadership, Over others, any stewardship over people. You have to know God takes it pretty seriously. You're going to give an account for it, great or small. There's great reward, but take it seriously. Be faithful, be found approved, be diligent. As a side note, I think we would say all of this, by the way, applies to husbands who are called to be shepherds over their wives. So all husbands in the room are on the hook for all of this, and then all parents are on the hook for their kids for this as well. It's, that, it's just leadership, right? Any form of leadership, this is all going to apply by principle. You can take that and run with it for you husbands and you parents. Let that convict you that we are accountable and on the hook for that too, to shepherd our wives and our kids. But let's, we need to transition now and finish our time by talking about how to shepherd. Get a little more practical here. We're going to take this study. So we've done the Bible study, the survey. Let's bring it together and distill it and give some little practical implementation. How, how do you do this? If you're a leader or an aspiring leader, what does it look like then to, to lead like a shepherd? Let's talk about four main pillars of how to shepherd. It's a really simple outline. It's, it's really good. It has to be. We learned this as, you know, your elders. Five years ago, we went through a book called The Shepherd Leader by Timothy Whitmer. This is the outline in the book. And I can't shake it, just stuck in my head. It's gotta be good if it just kind of stays with me for five years, so we'll use it. It's so simple, but you'll see how it perfectly captures the essence of all those verses we studied. So let's do that now. How to shepherd. Your four pillars. First, know the sheep. Number one, know the sheep. You know, from John 10 The shepherd knows his sheep. I I know my sheep. My sheep know me. To Psalm 100 verse 3, that that God made us his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. He, He intimately knows his sheep and he expects them to know him. And so this first step is all about the relational dynamic of shepherding. First, for us to be God's sheep, that means God knows us and we know him. It's not a casual knowledge. It's an intimate relationship. God knows well everything about us, and He calls us to know Him, His word, His will, His guiding, His leading. Now, I know this may sound rather obvious, but for under shepherds it's imperative for them, likewise, to, to know their sheep. If you're going to lead these people, you've got to know them, and likewise, they need to know you if they're to follow you. What, what exactly does that mean, though? What, what are we talking about when we say "know the sheep," if we can get more specific? And I was thinking about this and kind of came away with with three ways to know the sheep. We'll go with identification, evaluation, investigation. You know, first, identification. You're asking, who are my sheep? It's kind of step one. Who are my sheep? Identification. You know, for pastors, this is where the value of local church membership comes in. Seeing that God holds shepherds accountable for leading the sheep. There's got to be some way for shepherds to identify, who are my sheep? You know, the ones that have to give an account, who are they? That's where membership uh, identifies, though, some sense of belonging to the local church. Same for sheep, who are likewise held accountable for following their shepherds. Helps them to know to whom God uh, will, will hold them accountable for following. And this applies by principle to other forms of church leadership. You're a small group leader or you're a disciple over a few. It behooves you to have really a well-defined boundary, a, a sheepfold who are you over? Who are you shepherding? Who are your sheep for whom you're going to give an account? Step one identification who are my sheep? Step two evaluation are my sheep real sheep? Step two evaluation are my sheep real sheep you know if you're a leadership position in in the church over others, it could be just two or three other people in a tiny small group or a prayer group whatever. And evaluation should always be on your mind. We're talking about evaluation of their salvation, where you're asking you know, are my sheep real sheep? Are they true believers? Have I got sheep or goats? Now you might think already that sounds kind of mean or judgmental, but it's not meant to be we We of course accept people as they come in our door, whether they're christians or not christians we We will welcome them, but as you remember. The, the primary mission of the shepherd is to lead people to Christ, make disciples, see them know Christ and then become like Christ. It's like Christ taught in John 10 as under shepherds. We are trying to make sure that, that the sheep have entered through the door of the sheepfold. It's not enough for them to come up to the door and kind of, you know, sniff around the door or, you know, scratch the door they, they need to enter through the door and Christ is the door. And so that, that's part of our work. That's really step one of our work. So we're not going to judge them or turn them away, but in seeking to evaluate their status, it helps us shepherd. Do I have a sheep? Well, I'm going to disciple. Do I have a, an unbeliever, a, a, someone seeking the Lord or whoever? Well, I'm, I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to, we'll shepherd them accordingly by step one. Here's the door. Here's the door of Christ. Until you go through, we can't do anything else. Now, everything else is futile, right? You can't you can't sanctify a goat. They they need to enter through the door, come to Christ by faith and repentance, and then the work of well real shepherding begins. You know, before that, all the means of shepherding are, are kind of futile. You need to evaluate if you have someone who doesn't know the Lord; they're they're still dead in their sins. They're enslaved to the flesh. They're, they're cut off from God. They don't have the Holy Spirit, and we we have to start with just evangelism. So anyway, evaluation. It's just we need to understand because how, how can we help those who have come to us? How do you do that? How do you you know that it's kind of awkward? Like do you ask? How do you evaluate the sheep? Well, ask some probing questions. You can discern. Do, do they make a profession of faith? What is their profession of faith? Is it strong? Is is it based on works? Like yeah, hey, I'm a good person, or they really trusting in Christ to save them. Do they know the true gospel? Can they verbalize the gospel? Maybe, you know, ask them to share their testimony. How did you come to know Christ? You could ask, you know, how does one get to heaven? You know, you would have these conversations personally and privately, and in a context where you you care about their whole lives. It's not like you go out to lunch with someone and say, all right, now I got to interview you. Let's make sure you're a real Christian here. I hope you pass the test. Now, this, this comes about as you, you get to know someone, you get into their lives, you, you, you hear them talk, you understand their beliefs. And just a shepherd's heart and their ear is tuned to the things of the Lord and tuned to salvation. The shepherd is always just evaluating, where is this person? Not not because they're trying to judge, but uh, I want to help this person. I want to help this sheep. And if they're not a sheep, I've got a door they need to see and I want to take them to the door of Christ. So, Secondly, you will do evaluation. Are my sheep real sheep? And then thirdly, investigation. What do my sheep need? Investigation. This is part of knowing the sheep. Now you're really getting down to what do my sheep need? Now that you've got some clearly defined sheep who are real sheep, the shepherd asks, well, what do they need from me? You know, the the fundamental role of the shepherd is to meet the needs of the sheep, this comprehensive care But sheep are different, different places, maturity levels, needs, strengths, weaknesses. You're finding all this out. You're knowing them and their lives that you can, well, meet those needs. Of course, we're talking primarily uh, spiritual needs. Not that we would neglect their physical needs, but uh, primarily we're talking their spiritual needs. So how do you discover their needs? Well, mostly spend time together. Remember that all that talk about involvement and investment. Just be in their homes, be in their lives, go out to eat, just spend time together. Back in an M.L. college group, I would often play basketball with the kids. And it wasn't direct ministry. We weren't like doing a Bible study. We just go play basketball. But it was ministry in the sense that we were building relationship, building trust, getting to know one another. And I knew that from that time, if one of them struggled with sin, later on a week, a month later, that they're going to come to me because they know there's someone who cares about me. There's a spiritual leader in my life who cares about me. And I'll go to him. It largely comes through building relationships with someone, being available, being on call, making regular contact, being proactive, not reactive. This is a challenge, especially for me, the more people you have under you, the harder this gets. But if you only ever talk to someone when something goes wrong, they're not gonna pick up the phone. They don't wanna hear from you because they think they're in trouble or like, you know, you're always putting out fires. Is a relationship based on just correction or care? And we need to just do our best to be proactive, not just reactive. But just spending time together. You're gonna to learn about their lives, their families, their trials and tribulations, their circumstances, strengths, weaknesses, that their sin struggles. And then what do you do with all this knowledge? It's all just meant to help them and and love. Okay, I see where this person's at, and now I'm going to just help them. I'm going to meet those needs that they would become more like Christ. So if they've gone through the door of Christ, they need to circle back, learn about Christ, know Christ, pursue him that they might grow into his image. That's what it's all about. Really, you're going to do that by the, the second pillar, which is feed the sheep. So know the sheep. Secondly, feed the sheep. We saw from Ezekiel 34, again, the primary failure of Israel's shepherds was a failure to feed the sheep. They fed off the sheep instead of feeding the sheep. But the contrast with Christ and, and the apostles was, was just the opposite. They were all about feeding the sheep. And, of course, we're talking that the word of God, the, the, the pure milk of the word. And so the primary active role of the shepherd is to feed the sheep, the, the, the ministry of the word of God. Now this right here, I say often, like you could do its own study. Well, we already did. I point you back to lesson four where we talked about the tools of biblical leadership. We devoted an entire lesson to the ministry of the word when it comes to the biblical leader, just how big a role the scriptures play. It's our primary tool for leadership. God's given us his sufficient scriptures. They contain everything we need for life and godliness. And so the role of the leader is, it's good news. It's not like we have to come up with something new or be like catchy or clever or inventive. We just have to take them back to scriptures, lead them to the green pastures, feed them the pure milk of the word that That's our job. It's not not our advice or our wisdom, but we're feeding them scriptures. We're skillfully applying what the Bible says about God's will to their lives. And so we are feeding them a steady stream of scripture. And that, we've, we've already studied that quite a bit. And what does the ministry of the word look like in leadership? Well, you know, it could be formal or informal, large group or small group. It doesn't really matter. You could be preaching a sermon, teaching an hour-long lesson, or leading a, a more casual discussion-oriented Bible study. You could just be one-on-one at coffee just talking in someone's life. Whatever it is, though, you're, you're always leading the sheep by giving them the word taking them to the word, pointing them back to the word and make sure you're, you're feeding them with the word. And so step one, you're knowing the sheep, knowing their needs, their weaknesses, their sin struggles, how they need to grow and be challenged. And then the step two, we're now going to apply the word, feed them with the word to, to meet that need. That's our, our primary you know task. And then rinse and repeat, really. But we can add a couple more. Number three, lead the sheep. Number three, lead the sheep. This is obviously quite related to feeding, but next leading them where the shepherd leads them beside still waters. You know, so much of shepherding is answering the question, how are we to live? How does God expect us to live? Wouldn't you say so? Like just so many of counsel, thats like all of counsel and even Bible studies. People just want to know how are we to live? How does God expect us to live? And and shepherds, we are basically leading people to that answer. And we do that partly by counsel. Again, that's that's the feeding element, ministry of the word. We are, we're pointing God to God's revealed will in the word. So someone comes to you, you're their small group leader. They're looking for counsel. Should I break up with my boyfriend? What do you think I should do? And you say back, well, you know what? It's not so much what I think. Let's Let's see, like, Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Are there any principles or wisdom we can apply to your life from scripture to help you decide? And see, you're already communicating by that answer. It's it's not you. Let's let's take you to the word. Let's lead you to the word for this direction in life. In addition, the shepherd leads by example. And this really is where a personal example comes in to the shepherd leader. You lead the sheep and we're really talking here about example. It goes a long way. We saw that for Moses and David, sometimes for better or for worse, Peter and Paul, but of course, Christ himself leading by example. This is where you show people, you know, how does God want us to live? Well, follow me. I'll show you. As I follow Christ, you can follow me. Like Peter said to the church shepherds in 1 Peter 5.3, he said to them, prove yourselves to be examples to the flock. So it's even commanded. To shepherd leaders. We are to prove ourselves to be examples to the flock. We show them what it looks like to be a good sheep. We show them what it looks like to repent when you fall short. We show them devotion to the Lord. We show them worship. Just, just show them how are we to live. What does it look like to raise children in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Well, come to my house. Follow me. How do you share the gospel with a stranger? You know, let me go with you. I'll do it for you and you can watch, follow. You know, we're just leading them uh, according to scriptures, through the scriptures, and then we're really in a sense, showing them in our lives what it looks like in well in today's day and age. We're not leading according to our personal agenda. We've got no vested interest here other than God's interest. His will be done. Our only, Our only horse in this race is to see them grow into Christ-likeness. That, that's all we're trying to accomplish. So as you lead, just make sure it's, it's unbiased. You're not trying to lead them to, to gain a personal following or, you know, this guy's a, a big giver. I want him in my group. And just you're leading according to his will, God's will, to see his will be done. We're leading them like Christ to Christ. Our time's up, so let's just finish real quick. One more. Number four, protect the sheep. What, what does it mean to shepherd? How do you do it? You know the sheep, you feed the sheep, you lead the sheep, and lastly, you protect the sheep. It's pretty simple, right? But that's probably why the Lord chose the shepherding metaphor. It's so simple, so relatable, but it it really aptly teaches us what we're supposed to do here. So lastly, protect the sheep. So we saw Acts 20, be on guard. Wolves are going to come in. You have to protect them. Psalm 23, because of our shepherd, we don't fear evil. He's guarding and guiding us. John 10, Christ mentioned how no one will snatch the sheep out of the Father's hand. He's protecting them. And then the the big failure of the wicked shepherds was to, to not protect the sheep, and so they were scattered. So we've seen this. This has been a big element in all the word we studied. The true shepherd, however, has a deep, vested interest in the sheep, he cares for their souls doesn't want to see them go astray. It breaks his heart when they go astray or fall into falsehood. And so he's going to step in, protect, warn, rebuke, help. You know, John 10 mentioned how some shepherds, they ran away when there was danger because they didn't really care about the sheep. They just really cared about themselves. But the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. David fought off lions and bears. And so we have to ask ourselves, how Am I willing to deny self or sacrifice? think it would just be time and, and energy, but will I go the distance to, to help these people to guard from error and to just be in their lives to, to guard them? Practically, this largely looks like guarding against false teaching. You're on guard against false teachers, wolves and sheep's clothing. You're helping them you know, spot the enemy, identify false teaching, and warding it off by pointing back to Scripture which is our authority. And so there's a real warning element here as there's a truth war. You saw that with the wicked shepherds, they were not feeding the sheep, but the good shepherd, he's going to feed them his word. The truth matters. We need to be on the alert, not let our guard down. And so it matters in the lives of your sheep, part of knowing them, like what are they reading? What are they listening to? Who are they being influenced by? Not like we're like a cult trying to create some totalitarian regime, like hey, I watch everything, we just We care about them, we care about their influences, and we, we need to exhort them and help them to see what they should be putting in their minds. We, we just want them to, uh, to to be on guard against error and falsehood, and we're going to take them in that direction. This also involves protecting the sheep against sin. Romans 13, 14, we must not make provision for the flesh according to its lusts. So we, we're we identifying the sheep, where are their weak spots? Where are... the the holes in their walls where sin and temptation are getting in. What sin are they just losing to The, the battles they're losing? And as shepherds, we can know that and then we can help them by feeding them and just shoring up those walls with the word by applying the word to help them grow through prayer, through accountability, through scripture, we can help protect them from their own flesh by just, you know, engaging in the work of sanctification in their lives. That's one way we can protect them as well. You know, the false shepherd in all this doesn't care about the sheep, and you know that the most when they stray, because he's not going to go out of his, out of his way to seek them. At that point, they're kind of a nuisance, so just let them go. But you can you can tell a, a true shepherd when when the sheep they're difficult, when they bite, when they complain, when they stray, when they're not thankful but he's there anyway because he cares. He cares about them, the the greater good. He's there for Christ's sake, not his own. He's going to stick with them. He's going to labor, even if they hurt him or or bite him. Even if they run away, he'll leave the 99 and go after the one. He'll pursue the sheep because he cares. So you kind of put all this together and and you come away with just, I think, really, I think, profound and also practical instruction on what it means to be a shepherd and how to shepherd the the beauty of scripture and and giving us this metaphor. I love it. But now it's up to us to put it into practice. Just put this thinking into your hearts and minds, wherever you're at. I wish everyone thought like this and acted like this. As we said, that would be the best. But even still, those who are, are leaders or aspiring to leadership, you gotta get this. You have to transform the way you think. In the end, that's what it comes down to, like I said, the shepherd distinction, the shepherd sheep distinction is really a a heart-mind distinction where the shepherd comes and is perhaps more concerned with himself and his life, his trials, his troubles. And, And hey, look, we're all sheep. We're all concerned about ourselves, but the shepherd takes that to the next level and is no longer just thinking about himself, but others. How can I minister to others? How can I help others? How can I encourage, exhort, reprove, pray for others? That That's a shepherd. You don't have to be an elder or pastor to be a shepherd. You can you can just engage in the one another's and, and do the work. And hopefully over time, we can see more and more gain that heart, get that mind, that way of thinking, and just engage in the work. And that, that's how the church body will grow. Well, our time is is up. So hopefully that helps you just think through even practically and challenge you to put it into practice in your life, in your time here at this church. Where you're coming on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, thinking, how can, I, how can I shepherd others? We'd love to see that, and the Lord would be pleased. Let's finish in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we, we praise you this evening for your word. It's, it's so rich, and we just scratched the, the surface tonight, but how much it says about leadership, about the shepherd leader. Lord, you are the good shepherd, the one we need, because we were lost we, we have strayed, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But we thank you for being the good shepherd who loved us enough to, to seek us, to go after us, to send Christ to die for us. You sent Christ the good shepherd to uh, purchase these sheep with his own blood. And that's us, Lord. We, we thank you for that. Now you've gathered us back. You've given us a name. You've given us a hope, even a calling to, to help others, to be the means in the lives of others entering through the door of the sheepfold, and we we have to be about this work. I pray you excite us, you convict us, and you challenge us to to join Christ. It's the privilege of being his under-shepherd and just engaging the work of the ministry. Multiply that here at our church, which we know will be to the benefit of our, our praise, our worship, your glory, and our good, Lord. So make that true here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.